you get my slides on. Good morning. morning. I'll just sort the levels out. Can you hear me all right? I could play around with the PA people and just whisper now. And then I could go really loud. (laughs) Just um, Craig shared something that really God had put on his heart. He's such a gracious man. He said, Ben, I don't really feel it for now. And there was a lot more to it. But um, there was something that really echoed. um, That I think I needed his permission to say. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And that... It was really, again, about the weekend away and just this sense that, that there are more people who still should be there. And there are a number of, of people that, that as God said, yes, Ben, that's okay. No, no, God. Craig said, yes, Ben, that's okay. You can encourage more people to come. Because Craig and Andrew have been in the detail. They've blessed me completely and others by keeping us well away from the detail and they know it inside out. But there's still more people that we feel should come. Firstly, if you genuinely feel that you couldn't afford it, then come speak to us. Don't know how, we'll find a way. I'm not talking that you chose to buy the latest iPhone instead of come, or or new this or new that, but you just can't afford it. Speak to us. We'll work out a way. Next, there's a group of people that just, I just don't really want to share a room, or I just don't camp. It's not me. Don't let that be a boundary. In fact, God would say, come. And in fact, even God saying, come, all you might be able to do is camp. Next, and I say this very humbly, but there are people who are on their own and have thought, I just, that's just too much. Where am I going to sit? Who's going to speak to me? I'm just not going to come. Those of you who are coming and are in families, or there's more than one of you, would you stand if you will keep an eye out for people, even if you're in groups who are on their own, and make them feel welcome on this weekend away? If you, if you are thinking, yeah, you're coming in a group. If you are thinking, where am I going to sit at lunchtime? Where am I going to sit? I'm standing on behalf of the Leeses. Yeah, we will, we, we will make you all feel welcome. Yeah? And last, there's a group of people that when you first heard it, you just decided in your heart, that's not for me. The Lord would say no. I don't know how we're going to work it out, but I'd rather give Craig and Andrew an issue <laughs> than have you not come. Yeah? I hope, I hope you've heard my heart. Speaking on the authority of Scripture, we've been looking at foundational truths and, oh my word, how out of depth do I feel? This subject is so huge. The more I looked at it, the more different avenues, different ways you can talk about it, share about it, different points you can bring out. What am I going to do in half an hour? I'm sure some of you will think, well, he could have done it this way or that way. It's just huge. And I got my big I'm a church leader Bible. That it is a Newbury Bible, single column reference edition, that looks the part. It's the AV, so I really don't read it, but it just looks good. (laughs) Yeah. 
But I want to say right at the beginning, because there's so many things, and I'll say it at the end, that I, I won't say that I wanted to say this morning. And I know we say, oh, you shouldn't say that, but it's just huge. I, I, I read this book as God's word from beginning to end. There's some bits I don't understand. There's some bits I don't like. But I, I, I read it and I shape my Christian walk around what this says. I don't seek to shape God's word around how I want to live my Christian life. And some of it, we can read it. First of all, 80-90% of this, I've made that stuff up, is meant to be read as it's read. Then there's the next level down where you can get into the Greek and the Hebrew. And you know with technology, there's never been so much easier to do. Then you understand who it was written to and what they were saying and it expanded it even more. But this Bible was written, this book was written to be read. And, and I sometimes think that teachers will have a lot to say for when they've brought doubts and, and confusion into this word. This word is to be read by everybody. Actually, Scripture says it isn't to be taught by everybody. Maybe at the end of it you'll decide it shouldn't be taught by me either. James says, do not let many of you be teachers. But this, this book, this book, it's not Father, Son and Holy Scripture. It's Father, Son and Holy Ghost. But, but we use this book to allow God to speak to us. And I use this book to allow God to speak to me. And in my experiences with the Holy Spirit, when they line up, it's wonderful harmony. But we do live in, in, in a time when God's word is under attack. Not only from outside of the church, but even from within the, the church. And it really does boil down to authority. And traditionally, there's been a huge gap in our belief system between what Christians believe and what non-Christians believe. And it tends to be man's wisdom or God's divine revelation. There isn't a single person or religion or secular movement that, that won't talk about in times that this world needs fixing that there's something wrong with this world. You could listen to non-religious things and they'll talk about the poverty. They'll talk about broken marriages. They'll talk about murder and the death rate. They'll talk about disease and saying, gosh, there's just something wrong. Every religion speaks of the same thing. They just argue as to what the answer is. Well, we believe the answer is Jesus. God's Son, Father God and Holy Spirit. How do we know that? Because he tells us in his word. It tells us in his word. And a question I think from the church, although I wondered, is this a new question or an old question that's gotten louder? Maybe you don't hear this, but more and more. Well, who says what is God's divine revelation? Who gets to decide? Ben, I know that Jesus is truth, ultimate truth, but who decides what's debatable matters? Who decides what's this and what's that? And now more than ever, God's church seems to be turning against itself, against God's word, seeking to bring it down, seeking that if it's awkward, like your prayer, it's awkward, it's just not plausible, it's not realistic, and it isn't fair, we seem to white noise it out. I read all of it, and some of it is ouch. Some of it I don't understand. Should we have answers to tough questions? Yes, we should. And do you know what? They are there when we look into them. But actually, and I'm talking this morning to, to Christians, 
I'm talking to God's church who've had a revelation as to who Jesus is. But actually, when we figure out every little dot and every little word and every little stroke of pen, and it all works out and stacks up, somehow we've taken faith out of it. Somehow I think we also have to be comfortable in the mystery that he's God, whose ways are higher than our ways, whose thoughts are higher, are bigger than our thoughts, or whatever the scripture actually is. Yes, we can understand when it seems to contradict and realise the context means it doesn't, but there's some mysteries, there's some scriptures I read, and I think I just don't feel I'm ever going to figure out what that says. And God seems to say to me, in my experience, good. You're still going to follow me? Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Okay. That was just a line. Our authority is God. And he has spoken in one book called the Bible. You know what? This is one book authored by 40 different authors over about 2,000 years. And actually, when you really get into it, it lines up beautifully incredibly and we need to remember that there was not twitter or social media you know there can be hundreds of years apart or even hundreds of miles apart in terms of what was written and what was said and when it all starts to fall into place it's beautiful and it's wonderful and you realize that there was something higher than man's intellect at work our authority is god and he has spoken in one book and i call it we call it the bible Well, let's look at, though, how Satan twists God's words. Satan's first words recorded in Scripture was to attack God's words. Genesis 3, 1 to 5. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the... I mean, did God actually say, you shall not eat of the tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest we die. Did God actually say, the devil just brings that doubt. Did he really? Is that really what God's word said? He then goes on, but the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. You will not surely die. The devil then goes on to interpret or misinterpret what God's word is. The devil, Satan twists God's word and Satan misinterprets God's word right at the beginning. Do you know what? He still does today. He's a whisperer of lies. He's a confuser. Did God really say? First two or three years I came to SCF, God so clearly brought me here down his path. I witnessed it. I attest it from the front. It was just incredible what God did. Three years in, when I may have been finding it a bit tough, I started to say, did God really say? Perhaps he didn't. Perhaps I've got here by myself. And you know what God said to me? How dare you? (laughs) And this is a personal one. How dare you, Ben, stand on the stage and talk about what I did to bring you here and then doubt it? He whispers. He twists God's word. He still does today. 
We see again um, when when the, the devil tempts Jesus, he uses God's word again. He just twists it. He takes it out of context. What's the bit here? And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus answered, It is written. Your word have I hid in my heart, David said in the Psalms, so I may not sin against you. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, then throw yourself down, for it is written. He's now trying Jesus' own tactics back at him. It is written. He will command his angels concerning you, and on their heads they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said again, it is written. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. The devil twists scripture. He, he twists it to his own end. And we need to know God's word so we can combat against it. What we believe here, I love this one. 2 Timothy 3, 16 17 in the Amplified, which means they look at some of the Greek words that can mean two or three different things and they add it in. All scripture is God-breathed, given by divine inspiration and is profitable for instruction, for conviction of sin, for correction of error and restoration of obedience, for training in righteousness, learning to live in the conformity of God's will, both publicly and privately, behaving honourably with personal integrity and moral courage, so that the man of God may be complete and proficient, pr proficient outfitted and thoroughly equipped for every good work. Amen. All scripture is God-breathed given by divine inspiration. This means more than saying God inspired the men who wrote it. He did. However, the very words they wrote were God-breathed. Ruach. That life that God breathed out of them. Not that God breathed into human authors, although he did. No, it's that God breathed out his word to them, said Barclay. Yes, it has their own character, it has their own style and personality. God did not take over their mind and bodies and they just without knowledge of what they were doing wrote it down. That isn't what happened. But it was God inspired. God breathed all scripture. All scripture. Sorry, I... Andrew said, Ben, you keep going on on your slides and then back again. And it throws us off. I'm sorry. I'm trying not to do that. <laughs> but what of the argument that this statement and others are self-referential? Are self -re I.e., the Bible uses itself to actually confirm itself. Couldn't anyone write a book and say it was inspired by God? Yes. But of course the Bible says this. Of course the Bible says it's Holy Scripture. If it did not make that claim, can you imagine what Satan would do? Can you imagine what the critics of the Bible would do? The own word of God, your own, your own Bible doesn't affirm that it's God's word. Of course Scripture is going to affirm itself. Of course it is. Of course it is. It would be used as a tool or as an accusation against even your own holy writings. Don't affirm that they are God's. But as you will see, the Bible time and time again speaks of it being God's word. It says God's word is true. 
The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The words of the Lord are pure words, like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. The works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. God doesn't lie. Your word is very pure, therefore your servant loves it. But the Lord is the true God. He who has received his testimony has certified that God is true. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we may know him who is true, and we are him who is true. And we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Then a couple of scriptures that I just thought were brilliant. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding. Oh, is that the same one? Yeah, it is, isn't it? Or Hebrews 1 1 to 2. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by by the prophets. But in the last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. For those who, who, who... who are not sure that the whole word of God is God's word, what do you do with those scriptures? You've got to have something to do. You've got to have an answer for time and time again that God's word is saying it is true, it is pure, it is right. Do we just ignore them? Do we just say that they're not there? The Old Testament referred to their writings as God's word. Let's have a look at some stats. The Old Testament referred to their writings as God's word over 3,800 times. What do you do with that then? It is written. God's word says, and do you realise that they really understood the weight of declaring something as God's word? A prophet was stoned if he was found to be false and not true. And they understood, those people writing these words understood that actually when you call it scripture, you're saying that to actually disobey this is to be going against God's word, God's will, and actually being placed outside of his covering. They understood the weight of their words so much more. It's not like we do today. I fire off a tweet sometimes or an email and thought, I wish I just thought a little bit more about that. They measured what they were writing And 3,800 times in the Old Testament, they declare, God's word, this is God who is speaking, this is God who is saying. What do you do with that if you don't think the whole Bible is God's word? The New Testament authors quote the Old Testament as being God's word over 320 times. The New Testament authors quote Old Testament passages over a 1,000 times. The New Testament affirmed the Old Testament as divine as divine, as authored by God himself. The New Testament also, the, the New Testament authors affirm also that the New Testament is divine. The New Testament, Galatians 1-2, Paul affirms the gospel came from Jesus and not, and not himself. And you know what? I read that and say, well, how can he say about his own writings that they didn't come from him? Paul quotes the Gospel of Luke and calls that scripture. So you've got Paul now affirming Luke as scriptural writings. 
What do you do with that if you don't believe the whole word of God? The whole Bible is God's word. You've got to have an answer. 2 Peter 3.15, Peter calls Paul's writing scripture. He says they're difficult to understand, but they're God-breathed. They're God's words. They're scripture. Jude 17 refers to scripture and then goes on and quotes Paul. These are not a bunch of boys that got together and saying, how can we deceive everybody? So if we agree with one another that what we're saying is from God, it's not Wikipedia. They weren't thinking in that way. They weren't thinking in that way. This isn't a great deception. Don't forget, church, I'm speaking to the church this morning. Not to non-Christians who need a revelation as to who Jesus is. So what did Jesus think? I think that, that, that's important to find out. John 10, 35 says, Scripture cannot be broken. So, okay, if then Jesus isn't talking about the New Testament yet, because you might argue it's not being brought together, he's certainly talking about the Old Testament, all those difficult, hard to understand, all that death and murder and God killing people. Jesus says it can't be broken because it's Scripture. It's uncomfortable. But the answer isn't to say, well, that part there was man. That bit there couldn't be inspired, or maybe it couldn't be of God. John 5, 39 to 40, if we search the scriptures, the Old Testament, we find Jesus. We find Jesus in the Old Testament all over the place. Jesus is saying, if you knew me, if you really knew me, then when you read my scriptures, you'd have seen me, because I'm there. What scriptures is he talking about? Jesus spoke of Genesis and the truth there. He talked of Noah. Paul speaks of Adam and Eve as real, literal people. Jesus quoted the Old Testament time and time and time again. I don't know, the, the, the only way then I could start to think, well, this can't be Scripture, is if somehow I think there's some conspiracy to deceive me and that we've added bits because actually if we say that Jesus did this, then it aligns up with stuff that happened in the Old Testament. Testament, oh my word. Again, I'm speaking to the church. Yet some parts of the church are really drawing into question what God's word says. Jesus affirmed again and again, it is written. It is written. It is written. Words are powerful. And when you write them down, they can be analysed and studied and learned again and again and again. The power in writing them down, Jesus affirmed it is written. But how do we know? I can't remember what I put here. How do we know that Jesus loved us? John 3.16, for God so loved the world. 1 John 3.1, behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us. How do we know that Jesus died for us? How do we know that we're forgiven of our sins? How do we know that we have eternal life? It's in the book. It's in the book. The heavenly man, I'm, I'm now shooting from the hip, but didn't have a Bible and had an encounter of Jesus, but, but yearned for God's word. And when he got bits and parts of God's word, he'd keep them and he'd treasure them. And he found out that his experience completely lined up with the God of the Bible. But how do we know all of these things that we like? We read them in God's word. And we have to be careful not to read God's word through today's lens, through the drivers and the moral values of today. 
I must be happy. Everything must be well. Nothing must cause me anguish or grief. There's things in this book that I'm, I find hard to understand. And I'm like, Lord, really? And when I read it through, through a modern lens, I just, it just becomes white noise. I, ca- I can't believe that's God's word because it's not plausible. It's not reasonable. And it's not fair. And it just like it goes white noise. But that's got to be an alarm bell when the things that this world does value, you affirm, oh yes, this is scripture. Why? Well, because it's this and it's this and this. Those are the things the world values. Be careful when actually the only time you affirm a scripture or things that are comfortable are the things that the world says are okay. It's dangerous. It's a lens that we're looking through that we need to take off. Thank you. (laughs) Where are we? What did Jesus think? Okay, we did that. (laughs) And last, how do we know? The Bible tells me so. Isn't that a song? Yeah? The Bible tells me so. Do you know what? I I had to change how I talk in our family. I I started to be really concerned about how how I'd upheld the Bible in our family home because my kids never really see me reading it. You know, because when they're around, there's other things to do. And actually, it's not a casual book that I can read while they've got Peppa Pig on. Uh, It just don't work. But I've started to change my language that talks about how I steer my life around what this Bible says. Yeah, I've started to bring scripture into everyday life and talk about how important. We sat down with the boys and we talked, I talked with them about a, a sensitive topic and we talked about scripture and how we can need to understand it. And I asked Samuel, so if I was to say, boys, that is so wicked, what would I mean? And he said, it, it would mean that that was cool. This is brilliant. So what does cool mean? And he went, Good. I said, but what does he actually mean? And he's thinking, I don't know, I don't know. It's cold, it's cool. But we know in that context that wicked means good. And cool means great. And I said, sometimes when we read this Bible, it's written. It's written to, to fishermen, to farmers, in language that they will understand. And when we start to see how they see it, it opens up more. So you may read some of this stuff and think, why is he talking about fields and fish? That's because... They understood what that would mean. In today's world, it's wicked and cool. I'm going to move on quickly. Extra biblical evidence. I'm going to go quick because I want to get onto Isaiah 53. Our experience. Jesus, the Bible says my life will be transformed. My life is transformed. The Bible says that I will feel free and light and happy. Joyful, it actually says. Count it all joy. I feel free and light and joyful. However, if you saw Joseph six years into his 15-year prison sentence, says, what's your experience of God like? He'd give you a really strange answer. What's that thing? um, um, It'll be all right in the end. And if it isn't all right, it's not the end. That's what Joseph needed to hear. But our experience affirms what the Bible says. History. Now, I know there are lots of areas where archaeology seems to disprove, but do you know what? That's all we seem to hear. 
There's a ton of archaeological evidence that lines up with Scripture. And again, the same here. Science. There is a ton of scientific evidence that lines up with Scripture. Do you know what I read? Up to the 17th century, they thought there was only a thousand stars in the sky. What does the Bible say? Do you know what the Bible says in Job? That the earth hangs in the air. It talks about the sun going around. I mean, signs affirm scripture again and again and again. And this is going to bug some people. But where it doesn't currently, do you know what? It's just not the end. It's just, it's just not the end. And that's hard for some people, I know. Miracles, the affirm miracles. In the Old Testament, there are, in the New Testament, there are eyewitnesses that will affirm of miracles. There are miracles that are happened today. Of course, we only remember the ones that don't and aren't and were chosen and proven to be wrong. Prophecy, which with five, might still ten minutes to go, I want to end on. Prophecy affirms that the scripture is right. The Prophecy is the prediction of things that will come to pass. The Bible says things are going to happen, and they happen. There are many prophecies that are in Scripture that came to pass when Jesus was incarnated. Only God writes history. Therefore, prophecy is the best proof of the authority of Scripture. The Bible is made up of, of two... The Bible says things happen, and they do. The Bible is made up of two distinct... The first one predicts what will happen. The second one proves it happened. This is unmistakable evidence of God's divine authority in Scripture. They then they both point to Jesus. I want to end on Isaiah 53. That at the time this prophecy was fulfilled, the prophecy was 700 years old. Did I put it in? Yeah. It is the most detailed, it has, it has full, with double L, historical verification. Let's just have a look at it here. I'm starting at verse 4, but the whole, the whole chapter is just wonderful. This speaks of Jesus. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteem him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid... On him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as sheep before the shearers he, he was silent. So he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and he who declared his generation, for he was cut off from the land of believing for the transgressions of my people he was stricken and they made his grave for the wicked, but with the rich at his death, because he had but because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. This is one awesome, heavy chapter. Words don't carry the true weight of this chapter. It is the most detailed prophecy that has full historical verification 700 years after it was written. Isaiah 53 is so consistent with the four Gospels, it has been called the fifth. I wonder, though, as it was written 750 years before any of the Gospels, whether or not it's actually the first. 
This answers our questions. How can a sinner escape God's judgment and, and can be forgiven and reconciled to God and be brought into heaven? It's all answered in Isaiah 53. It has truths that dominate the New Testament. Salvation, forgiveness, reconciliation, eternal life. Truths... Oh no, that's at the end. It has all of this captured 700 years before it, it actually came to pass. This could be Romans. This could be the book of Romans. This could be Paul speaking. Now we need to remember that Isaiah was not speaking the theme of today or the theme of his time. He was not speaking into common thinking. It's not like somebody wrote a groundbreaking essay on tolerance. We would say, gosh, they're speaking in today's place. Or a groundbreaking essay on acceptance or inclusivity. That's where society's at. Isaiah isn't speaking anything like this here. The Hebrews didn't think they needed a saviour. They were God's people. They were looking for a warrior king that would come and overthrow everybody and establish themselves as rulers of the whole world. They were not looking for a saviour that was going to die, that was going to be beaten, that was going to be slain. You, you really need to get this because we're reading it through 2,000 years later. When we know of the cross, they had no concept of this. And Isaiah wrote this 700 years, and it has salvation. They would not have understood it. They didn't need forgiveness. They were God's people. They didn't need reconciliation. The whole idea of eternal life was not there. All of this is captured in Isaiah 53, and all of this was fulfilled 700 years later when Jesus died and resurrected, died on the cross and resurrected. It's the authority of Scripture. Oh my goodness, can you see it? Can you see it? 700 years. Who's a hundred in this room? So a hundred years passes, nothing. 350 years pass, nothing. 400, 500, 600, nothing. I'm surprised they didn't stone Isaiah, but 600 years afterwards he'd be dead. <laughs> nothing. And then all of a sudden, 700-ish years they open Isaiah 53 and they go, it's there. It's, it's there. The authority of Scripture in prophecy, it, it, it's just irrefutable. John Brevere does this mathematical analysis on the likelihood of Jesus fulfilling all the prophecies. And it's, 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 it's hundreds of thousands to the power of one. It's a great video clip. It's just ridiculous. And yet all, all that Jesus did through his birth, through his life, through his death and resurrection have fulfilled all of the prophecies in the Old Testament. The probability of that is ridiculously unprobable. Because we've got a God who wrote it in Scripture, who breathed it in Scripture. It's the authority of God's Word. What questions can I think for you to ponder? I don't know. Talk about this in home groups. These questions will come from your group. Help me understand how I reconcile God sending thousands to their death. Help me. That's a valid question. That's a valid question. I don't like these bits. We cannot cherry pick. The minute we do, the minute we decide I'll have that, but not that, it's all. It's a bit like the Lordship of Jesus. If he's not Lord of all, he's not Lord of all. It's his Bible. 
It's his word, hey? Oh no, oh no, oh no. The whole of it. The imagery, learning how, how the people who heard it for the first time would have received it, all helps. All helps. What haven't I said? The Bible was written for everyone to read, but not for everyone to teach. We can look at how it was pulled together, but actually, ultimately, Ben's view, and it's the view, I'm sure, of the other elders, but I want to speak for myself because we haven't talked this, you know, God ordained what books were in the Bible. Well, where's this letter that Paul's refers to? What about that? It's incomplete. God didn't ordain it should be in. And I know for some that's uncomfortable. Come talk. Let's talk. Let's talk about the fact that I just don't like this here. I just can't reconcile. If God would kill a load of people, then I don't want to be around that God. What well, does it not make it still truth? It's foundational. It's foundational. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word, your holy word, the, the Bible. Father, I pray as, the, as we read it, as we allow it to read us, Lord Jesus, you would reveal your spirit in it and through it. Lord, help us to talk about it. Father God, bring us divine um, and appointed teachers that will come and open your word further and deeper. Father God, may we hide your word in our hearts so that we may not sin against you. Guide us and shape us as we seek to be a church that keeps your word foundational. In your precious name, amen. Thank you, church. Thank you, Ben. Thank you, Ben.